everybody, 1115, it's good to see you guys. Um, if you are new here, we've been in our storied series. Last week, Derek did an awesome job talking about Moses. And if you can't figure out what Sarah just read, that was the song of a very old man who was very happy to meet his new baby boy, John the Baptist. So we're going to be in John the Baptist today. Um, scholars teach in commentaries, they, they, it leans towards Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were probably in their 80s. Uh, when John the Baptist was born. Any ladies in here imagine being 80 years old and being pregnant? She must have been one tough lady, I can tell you that. Um, but all kidding aside, like I just, I love that he sings that song. It's a prophecy, but also like this happiness he's singing over John. And John the Baptist is one of the most incredible figures in the Bible, human beings. We kind of look at the, the characters of, of, of the scripture kind of as just like characters. But John the Baptist was not a character. He was a human being. He was a real flesh and blood person like you and I. And so is Jesus, you know. And I kind of want to take that in our start with that as we go through the John story, through the Gospels, the things that he says, there's a lot written about him, the things that Jesus says about John himself, and, and picture him more, not just some religious uh, character that existed uh, just on the pages of, of the Bible alone, but a real human being that lived and walked 2,000 years ago um, in Jerusalem and in Israel. So with that said, if you don't know the story, this will be story form preaching. Uh, I'll probably get real excited like I normally do. But John, John the Baptist's parent, Zachariah, Zachariah was a priest in the temple. And his wife, Elizabeth, she was a descendant of Aaron. You remember Derek was talking about Moses last week. She was a descendant of Aaron, Aaron's Moses' brother. And Aaron was the very first priest of, that there ever was in Israel. And so there, the Bible says that Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have any kids this was very tough on her. They wanted to have kids, but it just, it just wasn't in the cards, you know? That's just it's kind of what you say when those things don't happen in life. It's like, well, maybe this just wasn't God's will. It just you know, wasn't, wasn't for us. And so they go on living their lives. And this particular day in Luke, Zechariah, he is the guy that, that all the priests get together like, all right, this is the week we do, do the big stuff in the temple. Who's going in? They would literally cast lots. And Zachariah, he drew the short stick. So he's like, dude, you're going in. And it was a big deal. Like, they would have to do this full ceremonial washing. They take the outer garments of their, their, their big robes and stuff off and this very specific way of cleaning. You got to get as clean as you can before you go into the Holy of Holies where God is, where the ark is. So it was like a big deal to be the guy. And this day was the burning of incense. So here's Zachariah. He does the whole thing. And he's going in to do the incense. And he goes in and he starts to do... Uh, light, light everything, and all of a sudden, standing before him is an angel, and it freaks him out, the Bible says. He's like, whoa, you know, like not expecting to see that, which I don't think is weird. If I came in here, and then there was a supernatural being standing on the stage, it would be kind of freaky, you know, be like, oh my gosh, you know, and that's Zachariah. He's like, oh my gosh, and the angel says this. If you want to read along, or you can turn to me with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, it says this. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. I just love that. I mean, it's such good words. And many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will never take wine or any other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. That's important to remember. To turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared 
for the Lord. So that's what the angel said to him. I don't know what he looked like. I don't know what he sounded like, but it was probably awesome. And so he says that to Zechariah. And us humans, I mean, you know, we just, we just have a tendency. You can see a supernatural being and still be like, eh, you know, because this is his response. He goes, you sure? Like, I'm pretty old. My wife's kind of old too. Like, how can this be? And so this angel hears this, he hears this doubt from this old dude, and he was like, man, he, he identifies himself. He goes, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God in heaven. He told me to come tell you this. I'm closing your mouth. You're not speaking until this baby is born. No more words for you, Zechariah. Bam, can't talk anymore. He's in there. The Bible says there's a crowd of people out that have been praying, and Zechariah's been in there way too long. They're like, what the heck is going on in there? And so... He, this, he hears this whole thing, like, you're going to name this baby John. He's going to be the, 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 the forerunner of Jesus. So he goes out, and everyone sees him, and they're trying to ask him, like, hey, what happened? And he can't talk. And they're like, oh, my gosh, something's happened. He's definitely had a, you know, some kind of vision, and they're you know, asking him stuff, and, and he's not able to tell them. I don't know if he wrote it down, like, dude, I just saw a ginormous angel in there, and he closed my mouth. You know? Like, I don't know what he did, you know? And that's what I would do. But then it's like, but then you would contemplate, do I really do that? Because they're going to think I'm a humongous, crazy weirdo. So maybe I should just keep that to myself. You know, who knows? That's not in the Bible. That's just conjecture from Pastor Dave. So anyway, he goes back home. He tells Elizabeth. Maybelline writes it down. Oh, who knows? She gets pregnant and she's ecstatic. I mean, she wanted a baby her whole life and now she's going to have this baby. And six months pass and she's at her home, her and Zachariah's home, and she gets a visit from her cousin. Mary, you know, that Mary, you know, you know which one I'm talking about, right? They're cousins, Elizabeth and Mary, the mother of Jesus, are cousins, and she shows up at their house, and she comes out, and she calls out to Elizabeth, and John, little John in the womb, when she hears, when he hears Mary's voice, the Bible says that she, he leaped, he leaped in her womb, and even from the womb, this would be John's This would be his purpose, his meaning, his destiny, the reason he was born, that whenever Jesus enters a space, whenever he comes close, he wants to make everybody know who he is. This is the Lamb of God. This is the Savior of the world. This is the chosen one, and it's happening to him even inside the womb. It's cool. You know, it's amazing stuff to think about. And think about their moms as they're, you know, she's like, oh my gosh, and she knows. I mean, it's just, it's so neat. So a few months later, you know what happens? Mary and Joseph, they go to that barn in Bethlehem, and Jesus is born. So here they are. They're the same age. They're family. They're literally six months apart. They're cousins, right? They show up at the scene almost within six months of each other, 30 years old when they're preaching, but they're cousins. They They were family. I mean, think about it. Like, did they know when they were kids? Like, did they hang out when they were kids? Did they know they were, they were set apart at birth? Did they, know that, did they know that angels came to their moms and their dads and told them about them, that they were going to, like, be born? Can you imagine, like, Elizabeth, Elizabeth sitting John down and be like, he's seven or eight years old. There's something I really have to tell you. This is going to be unbelievable to hear, but, you know, an angel shut your dad's mouth. I know it's a crazy story. You know, like, how would she... When did that day happen? These are people, you know. But Jesus and John, they're, they're cousins. They were little boys together. You guys would relate. Like my kids, um, my kids, uh, 
you know, they grew up around the same time. Like my, it might, that makes no sense. My siblings and Sarah's siblings, we all had kids around the same time. And so our kids spent a lot of time together. You know how that goes. It's almost like your, your, your brother's kids are kind of like your kids a little bit too and your sister's kids. Well, that's how it was for, for our kids. And, um, you know, my little boys, they, I love them to death, but they got in trouble, you know? And I'm wondering, like, did Jesus and John, did they get in any kind of trouble when they were kids? Like, did they, they do stuff? Mine were bad. These are the two holiest guys of all time, so maybe they were really great. But who knows, you know? Like, maybe they were just little boys, too. I remember um, my in-laws used to have five acres in Palm Valley. If you've never been down there, it's in Ponte Vedra. It's very swampy, uh, just kind of, you know, country place, I guess. They had five acres. They had a horse barn. This was like kid heaven. Uh, they had a whole bunch of outside dogs that just lived outside. It was great. Kids liked that stuff. They had horses. They had a big pond. These dudes and these boys, were, these jokers were crazy. They'd be climbing, literally like six years old, climbing to the top of like 30-foot 30, 30 trees in the yard, and the, all the moms would be outside freaking out, and me and the other dads would just go back in like, please, God, don't let them fall out of this tree. They would do crazy stuff. They would coax the horses. I remember this one po pony. They would coax them near the fence, and they would get on the fence, and when he got close, they would take turns jumping onto him and just seeing how long, who could hang on the lo longest. No broken necks, but I mean, it was just a great time. Well, this one particular time, uh, all the boys and my girls were with the boys. They came running into the house. They're like, Grandma Celeste, Grandma Celeste, we caught an alligator. And she's like, you did not catch an alligator. And then she was like, I better go check and see if they got an alligator. <laughs> and these, these dudes did it. They took a fish. There was a little alligator in the pond. They took a fishing pole with bread, cast that out there, hooked them. They're like, ah! And they just slowly reeled them to the bank. And then they had the great idea of let's take a cast net and just throw them on top of the alligator, and now we got them. And they had caught him, you know? And I'm, like, thinking, like, did Jesus and John ever catch any critters in the Jordan, you know, like snakes or, you know, where they like, oh, Jesus, you got to see this, man, I got him, you know? Like, they were people. They were human beings. Like, we were in Costa Rica. My, uh, one, we have family that lives in the northern part of Costa Rica, and my kids, my daughters, are all ocean humans. They grew up here very good in, in the ocean. And we were there on vacation. We were all there, and... We, they'd been surfing all morning, but you can't, they're like maybe 10 years old. You just can't make this age of human tired. It's impossible. So we're all, the adults have been in the sun. They're all tired. Like, we want to go down to the river mouth. So there was this river that would flow right by his house out into the ocean. And like, we want to go swim and play on the beach on the other side. And it was cool, man. Like mangroves over there, probably had crocodiles. They could try to catch those. And uh, so they, they want to go down there. And everyone's like, how do we get them to just leave us alone? The adults like, God, they're wearing us out. And they're like, well, all right, fine, go, go. And so me being the responsible one, I was like, I'll take them. And I had Sadie. My youngest is 15 now. She was a baby. So the boys and, and, and Kaylee, they're just they're 10, 8, 8 and 10 years old. They all run down there. And I'm getting there. And they get to the river. And they all start swimming across the river. And I got my baby, no joke. And I look. And you see them all swimming. And they're doing good, except for the youngest one, Nathan. He was only six. And he got halfway through the river. And he hit that current where the river and the ocean were meeting. And he stopped. And he was treading water, and then all of a sudden, all you could see, the only thing sticking out was just his face. And he was going, help! And, oh, it's just his face. Help! And I'm like, oh, God! You know, like, what am I going to do? i got to save him. So I'm like, I have this baby. So I ran up the beach, and I just took Sadie in the sand, and I just went, and stuck her as deep in as I could. Like, stay right there! Like, maybe she won't be able to get out for a second. And I start running down the beach. And by the time I get to the beach, the cousins had seen their other cousin was drowning, and they went and saved him, you know? And it's like... I mean, Jesus and John, like, did they try to see who could swim across the Jordan? John couldn't make it. 
Jesus just comes walking out. They're like, hey, buddy. <laughs> He's out on the water, you know. And John's just like, you know what? You think you're so awesome. I'm going to baptize you in this thing one day. You're going to see. Thank you for laughing at that. Because that would have been awkward if you guys didn't think that was funny. A little sacrilegious. But you know what I'm saying? Like, did they know when they were kids? Did they, I think they did. Did they play? Did, I, I think that they did. Did they know that they were going to grow up and be the two greatest preachers there ever was? Jesus to grow up, to bring the gospel, to bear the cross, to do miracles, to literally walk on water, like I said, and John never recorded to ever do even one miracle. This was the, one of the most influential people that there's ever lived, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. Um, and think about their holidays. I mean, holidays are family time, right? The Jews, these, they would have grown up in a very religious home. They would have showed up to all the Jewish holidays like Passover. Remember Derek was talking about Moses last week and how he said, Moses said, prepare a lamb. Put the blood over your doorposts because the angel of death is going to come by. Prepare a lamb. Kill the lamb. I wonder, like, did John know as a kid on all those Passover dinners when, the, when Zechariah was telling the story of Passover, did he know that his purpose was to prepare for the Lamb, Jesus, the Savior? Did he know? You know? It's neat to think about. And I think about their moms, man, how they must have loved their little boys. Everybody thinks that their kid, every mom thinks their kid, my kid is the greatest and everything. Like, they're the best soccer player, they're the best surfer. I mean, they had, these moms had Jesus and John, you know. Like, it's pretty good, you know. I don't know how good your kids were. But these moms might have won, you know, as far as the greatest kids. Religious upbringing, like I imagine that, that, that they both were taught a lot. I bet John was taught, he taught the Torah, the Talmud, all the important Jewish books. I imagine Zacharias, like he's going to become like me, a priest in the house of God. And that's the way he was raised. But that wasn't God's will. The, the will for, for John was to be called out into the wilderness. That was his plan from birth. If you read uh, history, commentary, uh, scholars believe that he probably ended up in that desert, in that wilderness, uh, south of the Jordan, somewhere around the age of 16 to 18. Military service started at 20 in ancient Jerusalem, and they think he was, he was out there at 16, doesn't show up on the scene again until about 30. So 10 to 12 years, John, the cousin of Jesus, is out in that desert. Isaiah 40, verse 3 says this, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Crazy. How did he prepare? In the wilderness, prepare a way. What was he doing all those years? How was he preparing for the Lamb? See, prophets in the Bible spent so much time in the wilderness, so much time in the deserts. All of them did. If you go back, like Derek's been teaching, they, 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 were, they were in and out of the desert, out of the wilderness all of the time. And this, you know, this was a thing prophets did, and that's what John did. John, John was to be the last of all the Old Testament prophets and the greatest. He was going to be the greatest one. He was the last one. He looked like one, and he dressed like one, and he acted like one. The Bible says that his clothes were completely made out of camel's hair. Can you imagine wearing an outfit that's only made out of hair? I just couldn't, it may, I mean, I guess it was pretty breathable, but it's like this is fully out of hair, you know what I mean? And it's like he only ate locusts and honey. Now, this is like extreme keto or paleo or whatever. He had to be like a pretty lean guy if he's just eating locusts. And where is he even finding this honey in the desert, I wondered? Stupid. But this, is, this was his outfit, and Elijah was, they said he wore a camel's hair outfit. Where are they getting these, you know? Who is making these things? But, you know, he was in the wilderness, so God could speak to him. 
to show them how to prepare, right? That's what the Bible says. You remember Derek was preached about Moses. Moses, is, he's, Derek was saying that he spoke to God face to face like a friend. Like I wonder, was, was John out there speaking to God like that? As God was preparing him to prepare, you're going to prepare the way for the one, the chosen one. Out there where there's no distractions. The Hebrew word for desert and to speak are spelled almost exactly the same. Maybe that's why God brings them in and out of deserts. Maybe why he brings us in and out of deserts so that we can get away from the distractions of the world and he can speak to us. If, I mean, if you're, in, if you're in this room today and you're like, man, my life kind of feels like I'm in a wilderness phase. I'm in a desert place. And you feel like you're far from God. I've been there many times in my life. Man, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe God's trying to get you away from the, the distractions of the world and the distractions of your life so that he can speak to you and tell you what he has for your life and for your heart. What was he doing out there, man? Out there in all that sand and dust, contemplating his mission, contemplating us, humanity himself, wrestling with his own, his own he, you know, Jesus was the only one that was never, had never sinned. He was a sinner like you and I. He might have been the greatest of all of us, but he had never sinned. Was he wrestling with the law? Was he wrestling with, can I do this? If I isolate myself, I'm never going to drink any alcohol. I'm not going to do any of those things that, that can carry you away if you, you fall into any kind of addictions. I'm going to be out here and do this all right. I'm going to give it everything I got to be the best, to be the best at this and see if I, can, if I can make myself holy, if I can make myself clean. The prophets were revered in the Bible, and John was very revered. I mean, he... Uh, he, uh, it says that he, in, Mar in Mark chapter 1, I almost forgot this part, is very important. Verse 4, it says, so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5, and the whole Judean countryside came out to see him and went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized in the Jordan River. Amazing to me, man. Everybody came out. Everybody started to come out. Here's this guy, like they're wondering, is this the guy? It's been, it's been 400 years. So the last book of the Bible is Malachi in the Old Testament. The start of the New Testament is John. Between those white pages of the Bible, it's 400 years of silence. No word, no prophets, no nothing but our rituals and our, and our, our services for 400 years. And all of a sudden, John shows up, and he sounds like one of the prophets, and he looks like one of the prophets, and he's saying things that we've never heard before. The people were hungry. They all came. Judea was not much bigger than Jack's Beach. Jack's Beach is seven square miles, so imagine a little bit bigger than this. And everyone that lives here is going out to the desert, going out to a river to hear and see this man telling them things that they've all been longing for. And where did he come up with this this baptizing thing. His, he came out of the desert with a message, with a sermon, and he was baptizing people. He, the, to the Jews, this wasn't something new. Remember his dad, Zechariah, they, they had this ritual cleansing with water to try to clean. You got to get as clean as you can before you go near to God. And John comes out of the desert with a message. He's like, he's like, come out to the desert. He's telling them, come out, come out here with me where the things of life are stripped away and the reality of your sin becomes fully in view, this self-realization. He's like, I've done it all. I've tried. I've been out here for years. I've tried everything to make my own soul clean. I've, I've, I gave it everything that any person could ever do. And all I've found when I got to the end of it is I, I, I can't do it. I need to repent. 
I don't have it in me. You don't have it in you. None of us do. There's nothing in our own flesh or in our own ability that can make us whole in the eyes of God. We've all fallen short, infinitely short of his glory. And there's no way back to him. But when I was in that desert, the one that sent me here told me, go and baptize them. But one is coming, and when he comes, he brings a cleansing that will never end, a once and final cleansing. He will bring the forgiveness of sins. And I will not even be able to untie his shoes. He will be so worthy. I'm baptizing you with this water in this Jordan, but when he comes, he will baptize you with the fire of his Holy Spirit. This was his message. And John's fame grew, man. He got big. Big time, man. He's, he's the guy. He even had his own disciples. and it, He got so famous, in fact, that when he dies um, and Jesus is still on the scene doing his, his miracles and everything like that, people started to say, you can see this in, in Mark chapter 16, verse 14, I thought it was crazy. They're like, oh, Jesus must be John the Baptist reborn. That's where he's getting all his miraculous powers. This is how highly they thought of John in this area. Even the, the political leaders uh, of the area that weren't uh, Jews, they, uh, they were scared of John the Baptist. Herod, Herod eventually kills John, but it says in Mark 6.20 that Herod feared and wanted to protect John because he thought he was a, some kind of special holy man. Even Josephus, Josephus is a, uh, a, he wrote one of the oldest historical books that we have on regular, it's sec secular books. He has a whole bunch of stuff on John the Baptist. If you don't know, after Jesus, uh, his time on the earth, in about 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem gets destroyed. Herod, this same Herod's temple that he built for himself, his own house gets destroyed. His whole army gets destroyed. Josephus says that the Jews of that time thought that these things happened to Herod because of what he did to John the Baptist. Read it. He wrote it in 93 AD. He threw him in that, that dungeon in his, one of his castles 30 miles from Jerusalem. He just threw him in there, kept him in there for two years, and later beheads him. And uh, Josephus even writes his own opinion. I thought this was so neat, but I didn't want to put it on the screen because it's too long to explain. But he, he, his own interpretation of why he thinks John was baptizing. It's amazing. How the scale, the impact he had at this time that it would even be recorded outside of the scriptures. I just found it to be amazing. What, it, what must he have been like? I mean, he wore crazy clothes. He ate crazy. I'm sure he was very sunburned if he was in the desert a lot. What did, what did he, you know, what did he, what must he have been like? What did he, how did he preach? How did he teach? You know, what did he, I mean, he, you know, he's wearing, the, he wasn't, there's no microphones, you know, no, no fancy strobe lights, no fancy clothes. This is my favorite fancy shirt, by the way. It's very breathable. No cool skate shoes or surf shoes. You'll think this is funny, but these shoes are made out of camel's leather. I swear to God. It's another story. But, I mean, what must he have been like, you know? And he got so big. Thank you for laughing at that, Aaron. But they really are. This camel leather. We didn't even plan that. God knew. Just kidding. Um, so he gets so big, all right? And the, 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 the head leaders of the, the religious group in Israel are like, look, send the Levites out there. Send some Levites and priests and go ask him, is he the one? Is he the Messiah? Somebody get out there. So they go down to the Jordan and John sees him coming and he's, he must have been very direct. He just goes, I'm not the Messiah. Just yells it to him and they're like, okay, great. Well, then are you Elijah? And he says, no. Surely you're a prophet then. No. And he's like, well, what are we going to go back and tell the, the guys? Oh, who are you? And John quotes his destiny from Isaiah. He says this, I am the voice calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Amazing. 
figured out who he was, obviously, when he was out there in the wilderness, and maybe we will too. Maybe that's why God pulls us into these hard places of life, into the desert, into the wilderness, so he could tell us who we are, tell us what our true identity is in him. So the very next day after this, Jesus himself is coming down to the river, right? And John sees him coming up, and I mean, he's this, we've sang, sang this a hundred times. It's been on every screen in any, any church for, for 2,000 years, but he's the first to say it. He looks, he says, behold, he declares, he shouts, behold, there he is, the Lamb of God. Remember, Moses prepare a lamb. John prepare for the lamb. There he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's him. And later in, that, in, in John chapter 1, uh, John himself says, look, when I was in the de- this desert, God showed me. He said, when you see the spirit come down on a man like the dove, that's the guy. That's him. That's the chosen one. He goes, I can testify. I saw it happen to Jesus. I didn't know Jesus was going to be, my cousin was going to be the savior, but I saw the spirit. I'm telling you, he's the chosen one. And everything begins to change from that moment. Everything. The crowds start to slowly follow Jesus. The disciples of John start to become disciples of Jesus. And John, who was, he was the man. He was big time. He starts to become less than, not as important. And I wonder what that felt like. Think about it. Ten years in isolation, in the wilderness, alone. Yes, he wants to serve God. Yes, he wants to find the truth that he cannot fix himself, that there has to be a, a, a preparation for repentance and reckoning. But man, did it feel good to him when he finally, everybody loved him. And everybody wanted to be around him. And everybody wanted to ask him questions. And it was slowly being taken away. Did he struggle with, with that? I wonder. I, I think I would. And when I finally had my self-esteem, was like, based on how much people come out to see me and I'm supposed to, 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 to give it away. Give it away for my cousin, who's Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Lamb. And so one day, his disciple, John's disciples come to him like, look, man, are you sure this is what you want? Everybody loves him now. They're all following him. He's more than important than you. What do you want us to do? Is this what you really want? And John says his most famous thing in all of his writings. He says this in John chapter 3. He says, he must become greater and I must become less. Amazing. I mean, if, that, if there was like a, a, a more, I don't know if there's a more simple way to describe what it's like to follow Jesus. It becomes, everything becomes about Jesus when he comes into your life, when you give him your heart and your soul. He, everything should be about him and less about him. me. I need to make him great. And I need to, everything needs to elevate Jesus now. And I need to get out of the way. I need to humble myself. I need to, I need to get rid of those things that are holding me back from declaring to the world that Jesus saves, like Derek preaches, and nothing else does. His whole life had been for this. He had the most Instagram followers. He was the most popular guy. And now the crowds are gone, you know? And what did you, I wonder if he thought, what does my Jesus even think about me, his own cousin? What, does he think, I, am I done what I was supposed to do? Have I fulfilled this purpose that I was born for? Shortly after this, John uh, upsets Herod because he said some things about the fact that Herod had killed his own brother so that he could marry his brother's wife, and he puts him in jail. Even though he feared him, he puts him in jail, and scholars believe that John was in that dungeon castle uh, in a place called Macarius, about 30 miles east of Jerusalem for close to two years. 
And he's, his disciples, are, he still has some of them, they're coming to visit him, and they're telling him about all these things that they're hearing, all the deeds of Jesus. And he says, man, I need you to go find Jesus and ask him a question for me. And so he does. They get to Jesus in Matthew 11, verse 2. He said, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one to come, or should we expect someone else? Dude, he leapt in the womb. Are you the one to come? He's known since he was still inside his mom. He saw the spirit come down on him like a dove. He, he had known him his whole life. He knew that Jesus was the savior. He knew he was the one. But in that dark dungeon for two years, just being left in there, wondering if he, is this the way, is this, if you're the guy, are you you're gonna just leave me here? I did not expect this to happen this way, Jesus. I thought, I just, this is not how I pictured my life. I'm in, I'm in this darkness. I'm isolated. This is not the way I pictured things going. Are you going to leave me here? We're cousins, family. You're just going to leave me in this dungeon. Right there in that phrase, you can see the humanity of John the Baptist. And you can see me and you can see yourself. Because for us Christians, those that have made Jesus the Lord of our lives, we want to proclaim him. At some point, we all end up in the wilderness. You either willingly go there or you find yourself there in that dark, cold place. And sometimes you get there and you wrestle with God and, and, and things work out. And you're like, I think, I think I got it now. And you start to move towards faith, right? And you start trying to live for him. And then, bam, life does what life happens. You end up in a dark place again, in a hard place, in a wilderness that you didn't choose, lonely, lostness, and very, very less than. He's like, I know I said you must become great and I should be less, but am I supposed to feel this less? Is this, is this what it looks like? I, I remember, um, this was probably 10 years ago, I, I was in a bad season of life, man. I was, you can ask Sarah, like I was legit in depression for probably six months. And some things had happened, a, a ministry job. Because since I was young, me and Derek talked about this. I, young teenager, people were telling me, you're going to be a preacher. You're going to do ministry. God's calling you. And I had come to a place that we had, our kids were littler. And this ministry job that I had had dried up. And I, and I, I wasn't doing it anymore. My kids didn't even know that I, this is how I was. That God had you know, called me to, to be a speaker and a preacher and to be at OCC and all that. They came here, but they just didn't know that part of my life. And I started a landscaping business because I needed more money because we have like 8,000 kids. It's only four, but it feels like way more. Um, you got to provide for those little babies that we love so much. I'm just kidding. I do love them very much. But, so anyway, I'm, I'm down. So I'm on, there were so many days I felt like when I was on that lawnmower, I was in my own desert. It was just me. I'd be just all the time just riding around on my zero turn asking God, it's like, is this, is this what you had for me? Like, is this what you, and there's nothing, I love doing landscaping. It wasn't that. It was just, I felt like the path that I was supposed to be going on and what God had planned for me had just all fallen apart. And I just, I wondered, man, it's like, this is just not the way I thought this would go. And I know that's no comparison to John being in a prison, but have you, have any of you in this room ever felt that way? Like, I, Jesus, I just, I, you, it says that you have plans for me to prosper me. And I, it says it in Jeremiah. And I just, I just didn't think this is the way it would go. Have you ever felt that way? I think most of you would probably say yes. We're trying to do things right, Jesus. I, you know. And so there's just, he, before he, they, if you read commentary and read about, and the scholars believe that uh, his disciples stayed with John for several days, and they literally watched. He's like, come with me, guys. 
Come on. And he did miracle after miracle after miracle. They heard the things that he said. And they, he said, no, I want you to go back, guys, and tell John. Tell my cousin this. He says, go tell him that the blind are now seeing. The cripples are walking. Deaf people are hearing. Dead are raised. And the good news, the gospel's being preached to the poor. Go tell him. And then he says this, blessed is he who doesn't fall away on the account of me. He's like, John, I know you're in this prison. And here's the thing. Jesus, I, I believe Jesus knew exactly what he, John needed to hear. They grew up together, religious family. He told them the word. Those are prophecies about the Messiah, that when he comes and when the gospel's preached, healing and wholeness will begin. But he tells John, hey, go tell John, John you got to hear this, but don't fall away, man. Because look, I... And I my, my view of what's happening is we've all been there, you know, like in that place. And I think John was hearing for the first time that we all eventually hear like, yes, John, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to establish my kingdom. I am going to make all the crooked paths straight, but the cross has to come first. There is no good news. There is no gospel until the lamb sheds his blood. There is no resurrection. There is no wholeness there is, no, there is no completed work until there's a crucifixion. John, the cross is going to go first. I know all of you, all of you prophets were always ready for God to come down and bring judgment, but he had to satisfy it first on the cross, my cross, John. I got to bear the cross first, and you will too. You have your own cross. Anyone that follows me, says, has to bear our cross. And sometimes that's hard to understand. Have you ever seen The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, seen it. There's a movie, but in the book, it's much better if you'd like to read books. But it describes Aslan as he's like the Jesus figure. And Susan and Lucy, they meet him, and at first they're terrified of him because he's so powerful and his voice is so deep. But then as they get to know them, they see that he loves them and he's compassionate. They're even wrestling with him. And at one point, something happens, and Aslan stands up, and he does this terrifying roar, and uh, they're, they're freaked out by him again. And, so, and I don't remember the exact words, but it's almost like we couldn't figure out if we were wrestling with a kitten or a thunderstorm. Like he was, he's so kind and so good and so compassionate, yet he is mysterious and powerful. Just with his voice, you knew you could just like annihilate everything. This is what God is like. And this is what Jesus would want us to know, even from John and John's life. It's like, yes, there's never been anyone as good as him. But this relationship, Jesus is God. Like he is all God, and he is mysterious. We've never had a relationship like this, and he is going to be God. He's not going to change. He's not going to do anything for us, not even for John, other than what he calls, he says that he will do. He keeps his promises. That's where faith and hope come in, you know? The cross, man. First, the first idea, you know, John has is probably different than the way it turned out, but he got word. I think those were comforting, comforting words for him, we just don't know. They would know. Maybe they had a little inside cousin thing, you know? When they were kids, like, ah, I memorized Isaiah 61 better than you. Maybe he would know that would give him peace or something, you know? Who knows? But Matthew 11, so turn with me. This is the, this is the best part of the whole thing. As this is, uh, the disciples leave and Jesus begins to talk about John. He says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind. If not, why did you, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who, are, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, but more than a prophet. This is the one whom it was written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare for you 
prepare your way before you. That's Elijah, the spirit and power of Elijah. Verse 11, this one is unbelievable. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, my cousin. Yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This had to be a mind blower. I mean, they just seemingly, you see John uh, seeming to have a doubt creep in and Jesus saying, he's the greatest there ever was born. Not, not, he's the goat. He's the goat. Not Abraham, not Moses, not Michael Jordan, not LeBron. John. He's the greatest. That's stupid. <laughs> but he continues to explain. He's like, look, he's the greatest there ever was, but even the most infant on this side of the new law is greater than John. The most, the, the most brand new Christian on this side of the cross is greater than John because what John didn't have, we all get, right? When we get saved, we immediately get filled with the Holy Spirit. All of us, any of us, you didn't have to be a prophet. There didn't have to be anything great about you. When you give Jesus your life, you get all things and he fills you. That's baptism in fire, baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's what he gets. That's why John was the lowest and everybody else is higher because we got what they all longed for, every one of them. We got Jesus. We got the resurrection. He purchased that for you and I. That's what they all wanted to see. He continues in verse 16, to whom can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. I talked about this a couple years ago, but this is you know, to the Jews who heard this, this would make a lot of sense. And in their time, you know, there wasn't a lot going on. So weddings and funerals was a big deal in their culture. And it would be days long. Like if, you, if they had a funeral, it wasn't like a one service and then you went over and had uh, pigs in a blanket and some other hors d'oeuvres at a family's house. This was like days long uh, event of mourning. Someone passed, it was days and days of mourning and crying, the loss of a loved one, and then days long Weddings were the same way. It was days and days long of, of celebrating. And this was very exciting to all the kids because there wasn't a lot going on. So they'd be out there. Music would be played. They'd either be dancing or mourning. But it was, it was a big deal. And Jesus is saying, guys, don't you see what's going on here? John, God sent you John. He sent us all John to be the greatest there ever was, to prove to us one last time there is no way back from sin. There is nothing, even if you were the greatest that was ever lived like John, when John was in that desert, he said, I tried, I tried, I tried. And when I've come to the end of it, all I know is that I need to mourn. I've got to mourn for my sin. This sin causes death. The wages of sin is death. There's no way away from it. I'm mourning. The message, the sermon of the desert is that the wages of sin is death. And this ends with a funeral, a death for all of us. But Jesus is saying, but don't you see, when you come out of that desert in repentance and get baptized in me, my message is the wedding. I'm going to turn your mourning into dancing. I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to have a bride and we're going to have a, a wedding and the church will be my bride. That's Jesus' message. And sometimes it's just, it's hard to hear that on this side, like, like Derek talked a few weeks ago, on this side of heaven, on this side of the door, it's hard to say, well, Jesus, I put my faith in you, but why, why, why are you leaving me here? It feels like you're going to leave me in this prison. You're going to leave me in this wilderness. And we can see ourselves in that. John's story and our stories, even though he was the greatest ever, are not that different. No matter where you end up in life, 
every one of us is going to have to wrestle with that sermon in the desert, that self-examination, the reckoning. Every one of us is going to have to say, I- I've sinned. Every one of us is going to have to decide to repent and go to them when the pride of life is stripped away. We've got to go down to that river and hear that message and see Jesus call us and say, I have a baptism of forgiveness. It's the final cleansing. I can wash away all sin. And when we get down there with Jesus, right, and he washes our sins off and he tells us that he loves us, we find out that that river, like we say here, is like an ocean of grace, full of his grace, full of his love, full of his forgiveness. And when we are in the dark places, like John, we can still ask him to come and help us. And we can say, we can hear him say, just like he gave scripture to John, we can hear him say to us when we are feeling alone, my grace is sufficient for you. In this time, I know you feel alone, but I'm going to give you my grace in a special way. It'll be sufficient. If you feel weak, my perfect love, my perfect love will cast it away. Just come to me. Come to me. Come to me. If we can learn anything this morning from John's life, I think it would be this, that we, the Christian, the Christian life, the path is very narrow. And John's life obviously did not end the way that he planned, but I think our goal should be make try to do everything we to live in a way that Jesus becomes great and we're just trying to figure out how to get out of the way and be less make much of Jesus with our lives with our in our families to make it make as much about Jesus as we can and worship as much as we can make his name known as much as we can and just get out of the way and be less but even in our attempts to follow him that way we shouldn't be afraid to ask God, are you going to leave me here? I need help. Come to me, Jesus. If John the Baptist, Beth said this to me between service, if John the Baptist can ask Jesus that, and Jesus doesn't seem offended, does he? He doesn't seem bothered by it. He just tells him the truth and says, stay with me now. Bless it. I'm going to bless you. Just stay with me. Keep coming to me. Don't stumble. If John can ask that, then you and I, we can ask anything of God. We can bring him all of our troubles, all of our heartaches, all of our fears. We can bring it all to that river and ask him to help us. This is what Jesus does, and this is what he is like. Will you stand with me this morning? Father God, we love you, God. We ask Jesus that you would be glorified, that we would make make you great. We would make much of you this morning as we respond. God, that as we, we get one more opportunity to worship, that we would recognize that our whole, our whole lives, our whole hearts, our whole destinies, just like John, is to make you great. Every one of us, every one of us, are, we, we need to lift your name up as high, as high, as high as we can. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for being the Lamb of God. Thank you for taking our sins. Thank you for saving us when we couldn't save ourselves, Lord. In Jesus' name.